From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is a special episode of Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler. More than two and a half years after the Fulton County District Attorney's Office opened an investigation, a grand jury has handed up indictments related to Georgia's 2020 presidential election. Today, based on information developed by that investigation, a Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. The sweeping racketeering case includes 127 total charges of violating 21 different offenses across 16 code sections and sees 19 people under indictment, including former President Donald Trump. On this episode, we dig deeper into the Georgia election interference indictments. Every individual charged in the indictment is charged with one count of violating Georgia's racketeer influenced and corrupt Organizations Act through participation in a criminal enterprise in Fulton County, Georgia, and elsewhere to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. On most Monday mornings, the street outside the Fulton County Courthouse and Government Center sees a regular mix of hustle and bustle. Steady traffic flowing through downtown Atlanta mixes with the squeaks and groans of shuttles for jurors and employees and the clanging sounds of construction. But August 14th saw crowds and chaos as a mix of journalists, law enforcement, and onlookers converged on the then cordoned off block of Pryor Street. Meanwhile, security remains tight outside of the Fulton County Courthouse. Law enforcement have their hands full, certainly keeping order and securing that area. With a potential indictment looming against a former president, law enforcement, as you can imagine, officials there, they're prepared for whatever may happen down here. It was a day two and a half years in the making, as a grand jury heard the case against former President Trump and 18 of his allies and voted to indict them for crimes stemming from failed efforts to overturn the 2020 election, culminating with the late-night press conference from Fulton County District Attorney Bonnie Willis. Today, based on information developed by that investigation, a Fulton County grand jury returned a true bill of indictment charging 19 individuals with violations of Georgia law arising from a criminal conspiracy to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in this state. Along the way, there were revelations about witnesses, accidental publication of proposed charges, live tweets from the jury waiting room, endless speculation about what charges would be handed up, and wondering if Georgia would be where Trump would be indicted for the fourth time in as many months. It wasn't supposed to be Monday. Based on previous racketeering cases presented by Willis and the Fulton County DA's office, prosecutors should take about two days to present large amounts of evidence against a voluminous numbers of defendants, and the sprawling 2020 election interference probe appeared to be no different. That timeline appeared to be confirmed when two witnesses, former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan and independent journalist George Cheedy, revealed last week that they had been subpoenaed to testify on Tuesday. 
But something happened around lunchtime Monday that likely accelerated the timeline and added further fuel to the fire for Trump supporters who argue any prosecution is biased. No official announcement has yet come down. You may have seen rumors. You may have heard them about potential charges swirling after a document spread online. So late this afternoon, the Fulton County Clerk of Superior Magistrate Courts told us that document was fictitious. A Reuters reporter tweeted that the grand jury had delivered indictments against Trump and the online news machine went into overdrive. But there was one problem. The grand jury didn't indict Trump yet and was in the middle of hearing from witnesses. The district attorney's office quickly pushed back on the posts and Reuters revealed the news was based off a quickly published, then unpublished, case docket on the court website. The clerk's office responsible for filing documents issued an ill-advised press release calling the documents, quote, fictitious, then after the final charges matched the initial fleeting filing, issued a later follow-up release calling the posting a, quote, mishap. What actually happened, according to Clerk Shay Alexander, is that she hit send instead of save when working on preparations for when the indictments finally came. I am human. Fulton County Clerk of Court Shea Alexander says even though she's human, she strives for perfection. Then that's how the mishap happened. The mishap was she inadvertently posted the indictment charges against former President Donald Trump, even though the grand jury was still deliberating Monday. The system used by the clerk's office to input case information is cumbersome to use, and entering individual charges takes a considerable amount of time, including statutes violated and other information. And with 19 defendants and international attention on these indictments, the clerk's office appears to have started pre-filling that information based on proposed charges the DA's office sought to present to the grand jury in an effort to quickly get the information to the press and the public. That mistake led to attacks from right-wing media sympathetic to Trump and a blistering statement from Trump's attorneys continuing their attack on the DA's office. Once the actual indictments were voted on, that theoretical speedy release of the charges was nowhere to be seen, as reporters camped out in the clerk's office for several hours until the case was made public. While the grand jury met behind closed doors, some of the witnesses that were called before them spoke to the media on their way in or out of the courthouse, providing more insight into the focus of those future charges. There were at least six witnesses subpoenaed to testify before the grand jury, former Democratic lawmakers Representative B. Wynn and Senator Jen Jordan, who were present at a series of legislative hearings where Trump allies falsely claimed lawmakers could change the electoral outcome, were there. Others that appeared include Gabe Sterling, a top official with the Secretary of State's office who delivered an emotional plea for Trump to stop attacking election workers and results amidst a fire hose of information. It has to stop. This is elections. This is the backbone of democracy. And all of you who have not said a damn word are complicit in this. Former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, who nominally oversaw the state Senate that was a central place for election denialism and efforts to overturn the election results, also testified. And while he was not one of the elected officials who received private calls exhorting him to change the outcome, he did face attacks from the former president. The most interesting publicly known witness was independent journalist George Cheedy, who tweeted that he was waiting with at least one other individual that hadn't publicly acknowledged testifying. 
Much of what we know about the timing of the day comes from Chidi, who was very active on social media with his thoughts and observations about everything from the Jamaican served for dinner, Willis's choice of footwear, and his prospects for making it out to see a late night showing of the movie Oppenheimer. Chidi was one of the people who happened upon the Georgia GOP's convening of alternate electors shrouded in secrecy and ultimately was not called in front of the jury. But on his way out of the courthouse, he told GPB's Sarah Callas that despite being a journalist, he was willing to speak. I fear for the state of my nation. That's part of the reason I was willing to testify. We are one bad day away from turning into Northern Ireland the way we treat each other politically. Around 9 p.m., after the 23 members of the jury finished voting, the indictment was delivered to Judge Robert McBurney, who signed them and handed them off to the clerk to be filed. The two hours between the indictment being unsealed and the charges being made public were rife with people responding to them without actually knowing what was in them, like Texas Senator Ted Cruz. I don't know what's going to be in it. There are lots of rumors. There are allegations of, of RICO charges. We don't know what's in it. But, but, but you ask what my reaction is. I'm pissed. I'm pissed at these over and over and over again. If their indictments tonight will be the fourth indictment of Donald Trump, this is disgraceful. Our country is over 200 years old. We have never once indicted a former president or a candidate and a leading candidate for president. And this is Joe Biden and this is the Democrats weaponizing the justice system because they're afraid of the voters. This is disgraceful. It is wrong and it is an abuse of power by angry Democrats who have decided the rule of law does doesn't matter to them anymore. And all the national media that descended upon the courthouse, needing to fill time on the air, chased every little morsel of information to try and advance the story, like falsely claiming the grand jury issued 10 indictments in the Trump case when it was just one. Just before 11 p.m., officials started ushering reporters into a press conference where DA Fonnie Willis would speak and shortly after charges started to populate on the court website. As expected, it was a racketeering case against 19 people, including the former president. The indictment includes 41 felony counts and is 97 pages long. Please remember that everyone charged in this bill of indictment is presumed innocent. Specifically, the indictment brings felony charges against Donald John Trump, Rudolph William Louis Giuliani, John Charles Eastman, Mark Randall Meadows, John Cheeseborough, Jeffrey Clark, Jenna Lynn Ellis, Ray Stallings Smith III, Robert David Cheeley, Michael A. Roman, David James Schaefer, Sean Micah Tresher Steele, Stephen Cliffguard Lee, Harrison William Prescott Floyd, Travion C. Cootie, Sydney Catherine Powell, Kathleen Austin Latham, Scott Graham Hall, and Misty Hampton, also known as Emily Misty Hayes. Coming up after the break, we continue our examination of the Georgia election interference charges and actions that weren't illegal by themselves, but will be used by prosecutors to argue the incidents that were illegal weren't isolated one-offs. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
CBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. This is Battleground Ballot Box. I'm Stephen Fowler, and we're breaking down the massive racketeering charges filed against former President Trump and his allies. Before the break, we talked about the lead up to the big reveal of a 41 count racketeering indictment against Donald Trump and 18 others. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis held a press conference walking through the racketeering charges, arguing nearly 50 total conspirators, unindicted and not, participated in a criminal enterprise to accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. Specifically, the participants in association took various actions in Georgia and elsewhere to block the counting of the votes of the presidential electors who were certified as the winners of Georgia's 2020 general election. All 19 defendants were charged with violating the state's RICO law and the 98-page indictment spelled out 161 acts that were both predicate acts of law violations that led to a RICO charge and other actions that, while not illegal, point to the scope and scale of the efforts to illegally overturn the election. It opens up with a simple four-sentence introduction explaining why a law typically used for gangs or the mafia applies to the former president and a slew of other Republicans. Quote, Defendant Donald John Trump lost the United States presidential election held on November 3, 2020. One of the states he lost was Georgia. Trump and the other defendants charged in this indictment refused to accept that Trump lost, and they knowingly and willfully joined a conspiracy to unlawfully change the outcome of the election in favor of Trump. That conspiracy contained common plan and purpose to commit two or more acts of racketeering activity in Fulton County, Georgia, elsewhere in the state of Georgia and in other states. As you examine the indictment, you will see acts that are identified as overt acts and those that are identified as predicate acts, sometimes called acts of racketeering activity. Overt acts are not necessarily crimes under Georgia law in isolation but are alleged to be acts taken in furtherance of the conspiracy. 13 different Donald Trump tweets are included as overt acts in furtherance of the conspiracy, as are actions like former Georgia GOP Chairman David Schaefer reserving a room at the Capitol for the false elector meeting. Many of the overt acts mentioned are developments we reported earlier on in the podcast, like Trump's call to Georgia election investigator Frances Watson asking her to find fraud in an audit of absentee ballot envelopes in Cobb County. But whatever you can do, Frances, it would be uh, it's a great thing. It's an important thing for the country. So important. You have no idea so important. We also learned that Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, texted Watson to ask if the campaign could send money to have signature verification done sooner. The list of acts falls into eight buckets that show the manner and methods of the enterprise. False statements to and solicitation of state legislatures, which includes efforts by Trump allies Rudy Giuliani and others to overturn results in states beyond Georgia. False statements to and solicitation of high-ranking state officials, which includes calls to Georgia Governor Brian Kemp and other elected officials in Arizona, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. 
the creation and distribution of false electoral college documents in Georgia and other states, harassment and intimidation of Fulton County election worker Ruby Freeman, solicitation of high-ranking United States Department of Justice officials for a plan to tell Georgia lawmakers the DOJ had concerns about Georgia's election, solicitation of the Vice President of the United States to reject Georgia's presidential electors, unlawful breach of election equipment in Georgia and elsewhere, and obstructive acts in furtherance of the conspiracy and cover-up. In all, about a quarter of the acts mentioned in the indictment contained alleged illegal activity that led to racketeering charges, including a core set of false statements about Georgia's election results that are found in multiple counts against multiple people. Take the December 3rd State Senate Judiciary Subcommittee hearing, where three now-indicted individuals, including Rudy Giuliani, constitutional scholar John Eastman, and Georgia lawyer Ray Smith spoke about alleged improprieties with the election. While Smith said things like, It is impossible, impossible, to certify the results of the 2020 presidential election. The specific comments that a grand jury indicted him for included this. What we are presenting to the court and to you today as the Georgia legislature are facts, facts. 2,506 felons voted illegally in Georgia. 66,248 underage and therefore ineligible people to illegally register to vote before their 17th birthday when the law requires 17 and a half years old. At least 2,423 individuals to vote who were not listed as registered. 1,043 individuals to cast ballots who had illegally registered to vote using a post office box. 4,926 individuals voted in Georgia who had registered to vote after their Georgia voter registration date, thereby canceling their Georgia voter registration. 10,315 or more individuals to vote who are deceased by the time of the election. Those were not facts. And in fact, the Secretary of State's office had earlier that day explained that their investigation had found no widespread fraud or potential illegal votes. Here's Ryan Germany, the then general counsel for the Secretary of State's office. What we are seeing so far is what I would kind of call the normal amount of, um, I don't think fraud's the right word. Uh, I think I like to think about it more of kind of legal votes or illegal votes. Um, sure. We have about 300 instances of alleged double voting, people that voted absentee and on election day. So we're, we're looking at that. Um, that's significantly down from what happened in the primary based mm-hmm. on some protections we put in place. Uh, we have about 70 instances of potential felon voting. So that, that's what we're looking at. But no, we do not. We have not seen any uh, in, anything that would suggest uh, widespread fraud or widespread problems uh, with with the voting system. Smith, who also served as counsel for Trump's lawsuits in Georgia, faces 12 total counts under the indictment, including three counts of solicitation of violation of oaths by a public officer, false statements, and a slew of conspiracy charges for his role in the falsehood-filled hearings and alternate elector slate. Much of the evidence against him and others comes from actions taken in the open in recorded conversations. 
For example, another one of Smith's charges of false statements in writing, as well as solicitation of violation of oath by public officer, came weeks later in a December 30th hearing where he misrepresented what the Secretary of State's office said about the election. But yet last week, in, in this uh, very uh, Capitol building, um, there was testimony from the Secretary of State through its counsel, Ryan Germany, that they sent le uh, letters to 8,000, 8,000 um, Georgians, or, excuse me, 8,000 voters, not Georgians, 8,000 people who voted illegally on November 3rd and told them not to vote on Tuesday. That's right, 8,000 people told them not to vote for U.S. Senate, in the U.S. Senate race. That's th almost three-fourths of the margin of victory of November 3rd. But what Germany actually said the week before in response to a question was this. There was a story uh, made public this week that the, the Secretary's office has sent out 8,000 or so uh, um, notifications for people who are potentially out of state and not qualified to vote in the January 5th. How did we arrive at that number? What we did to arrive at that number is look at people who have filed um, an out-of-state and COA and have also requested an absentee ballot. And what we sent them was, uh, you know, a, a letter that I'm happy to share with the committee that says, you know, as a reminder, you have to be a, an eligible Georgia resident to vote. Um, you might be, they very well might be, um, but they might not be. And so that, that was why we took that. Trump faces 13 counts for everything from filing false documents in a December 31st, 2020 lawsuit filled with false claims about Georgia's election that were both already debunked and that attorney John Eastman acknowledged ahead of time were false to a solicitation of violation of oath by public officer for his call with Raffensperger. The grand jury hones in on 13 statements Trump made in that call as violations of the false statements and writing statute, including previously mentioned claims about dead voters and illegal votes, false claims about results in other states, and that everyone's going to look very good if the truth comes out. It's okay. It takes a little while, but let the truth come out. The and the, tr the real truth is I won by 400,000 votes, at least. That's the real truth. As for the most notable part of the call... So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. While not specifically mentioned in the indictment, Trump and Meadows are also charged with solicitation of violation of oath by public officer for that call, and the former president is also facing a charge for a call with the late House Speaker David Ralston, where Trump asked him unsuccessfully to call a special legislative session to overturn the results. Aside from the false claims made in legislative hearings, where Giuliani, Eastman Smith, and Jenna Ellis face charges, the scheme to pass off a false slate of Republican presidential electors to Congress encompasses the next chunk of charges. Only three of the 16 fake electors face criminal counts. Former Georgia Republican Party Chairman David Schaefer, current State Senator Sean Still, and former Coffee County GOP Chairwoman Kathy Latham. 
The trio are charged with impersonating a public officer, forgery, false statements and writings, and criminal attempt to commit filing false documents for their roles in signing documents claiming to be official electors. Schaefer and Still also were indicted on counts of forgery and false statements of writing for submitting documents purporting to have replaced four electors who declined to participate in the sham ceremony. Under Georgia law, any vacancy filled must go to the governor, who is then supposed to notify them of being a presidential elector. And because this wasn't a sanctioned meeting with sanctioned electors, the document asking the governor to select new electors was fraudulent too. Also caught up in the fake elector plan are Trump, Giuliani, Eastman, Smith, lawyers Kenneth Cheesebro, and Bob Cheely, along with Trump campaign official Michael Roman. Cheeseboro notably drafted a memo outlining the plans to have alternate slates of electors push through the Electoral College vote. Chile helped connect different players in Georgia with the campaign, and Roman helped coordinate the multi-state plan for electors meeting. As an aside, Chile is also the lawyer representing election conspiracists who've been trying to access ballots in Georgia. He faces a perjury charge for allegedly lying to the special purpose grand jury about his role with the fraudulent electors. One of the more poignant set of charges stems from the effort to harass and intimidate Fulton County election worker Ruby Freeman into falsely admitting she'd committed election fraud. Freeman and her daughter Shay Moss faced death threats and more after the Giuliani-led hearing in early December 2020 where they were falsely accused of counting secretly added ballots multiple times. Giuliani baselessly claimed the duo were manipulating election results. It's a tape earlier in the day of Ruby Freeman and Shay Freeman Moss and one other gentleman, quite obviously surreptitiously passing around USB ports as if they're vials of heroin or cocaine. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious to anyone who's a criminal investigator or prosecutor, they are engaged in surreptitious illegal activity again that day. A claim that was amplified by Trump in his Raffensperger call, one of the many false statements that both face charges for. We had, uh at least 18,000 that's on tape, we had them counted very painstakingly, 18,000 voters uh, having to do with uh, Ruby Friedman, that's, uh, she's a vote scammer, a professional vote scammer and hustler, Ruby Freeman. Uh, that, is, uh, that was the tape that's been shown all over the world that makes everybody look bad. And a trio of others are now roped under the racketeering case for their roles in trying to pressure Freeman to change her story. Trevion Cuddy, a publicist who previously worked with rapper Kanye West, Stephen Lee, a chaplain and former police officer from Illinois, and Harrison Floyd, who once led the Black Voices for Trump group, are charged with involvement in a plan that saw the three meet with Freeman at various points in efforts to get her to admit she committed election fraud. Here's body cam footage from a meeting where Cuddy and Floyd pushed Freeman to make a statement. You the trio are being charged with conspiracy to commit solicitation of false statements and writings for their efforts, and Lee faces two additional influencing witness charges for visits to Freeman's house and to her neighbor's house. Freeman and Moss testified to the January 6th U.S. House Committee and provided insight into the human impact the false fraud claims had on elections officials and everyday workers across the country. I've lost my name 
and I've lost my reputation. I've lost my sense of security. All because a group of people starting with number 45 and his ally, Rudy Giuliani, decided to scapegoat me and my daughter, Shay, to push their own lies about how the presidential election was stolen. The final big bucket of charges in the indictment stems from the effort to copy election data from rural Coffee County, led by Trump-aligned attorney Sidney Powell and including former Coffee election supervisor Misty Hampton, Kathy Latham, the former GOP chairwoman of the county, and an Atlanta bail bondsman named Scott Hall. They face a plethora of charges, including conspiracy to commit computer trespass, conspiracy to commit computer invasion of privacy, and conspiracy to commit computer theft for their role in hiring a firm to come in and image all parts of the election system to find alleged fraud. The indictment also charges them with conspiracy to defraud the state under the allegation of stealing voter data that is under the Secretary of State's purview and control, and conspiracy to commit election fraud by violating statutes on unlawful possession of ballots and interference with primaries and elections. This is a thorough but non-exhaustive examination of the characters and charges unveiled by the district attorney this week, and in the days since there has been a flurry of activity. Meadows has filed a notice seeking to move his case from state to federal court and arguing his actions were a protected part of his job as White House Chief of Staff. Fulton District Attorney Bonnie Willis has filed a proposed schedule for the case, beginning with arraignment the week of Labor Day and a trial starting March 4th, just a week before the state's presidential primary. And Trump himself promised a press conference Monday where he would unveil a quote, large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on fraud in Georgia, which would likely include many of the false claims and actions he was indicted for earlier this week. On the next episode of Battleground Ballot Box. Tune in this Friday and Saturday for an exclusive broadcast of The Gathering, live from Atlanta, Georgia. Watch as each candidate is interviewed one-on-one by talk radio host Eric Erickson, live before 1,500 voters. The Georgia election was not stolen, and I had no right to overturn the election on January 6th. We visit The Gathering, a Georgia confab of conservative voters and many of Donald Trump's Republican presidential rivals to see what impact, if any, this fourth indictment and turmoil in Georgia has on the 2024 primary race. Battleground Ballot Box is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting and is produced by Chase McGee. Our engineer is Jake Cook, our editor is Josephine Bennett, and the theme music was created by me, Stephen Fowler. Subscribe to our show at gpb.org battleground or anywhere you get podcasts. Thanks for listening.